Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma radiated, and aired live every week, only on the Nonproductive Network, the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio as always by Pete. Hi, Frank. And James, our special guest. Hi, guys. On Near Mint, we rank and review comics from best to worst. That's mint, near mint, good, fair, and poor to you newbies and try to guide you what to read and what might be better to avoid. We're doing a special presentation continuing our review of Hickman's return to the X-Men books. This time we are covering Powers of Ten, number one. Again, full spoilers for every issue we're going to be talking about. That includes Powers of X number one and House of X number one. So what do we think about this one? This This is the sister series to um, the the previous book we read. So I guess I have weirdly conflicting opinion of this. I think I actually liked it better than House of X uh, 1, but I'm also like terribly more confused by it. I I think the reason why I liked it better is because I actually think it does a better job of foreshadowing some of the stuff that's going to be happening in this series um, as compared to the other one, which is kind of like... It's kind of like, not like a feroce story, but it it just foreshadows what's happening, particularly in that specific. Well, I guess the omnipresent we were talking about yeah, before, right? It's really hard to conjugate the the timelines in this. Yeah, this book is definitely it makes it feel more like it's a big, an arc. Something yeah, big is happening, exactly. Right, as opposed to just being a story about. X-Men trying to found their own country, city, whatever. Right. But on the flip side of that, because of that, it's also like 100% harder to follow. Right. Uh, I guess to give a quick recap, we find out that there, this story is going to cover three, four specific timelines. Uh, there's sort of a, uh, maybe not a distant, a, a recent past, the, yeah. the founding of Xavier's principles, maybe mm-hmm. is a good way of thinking of it. Uh, which I think is referred to as X Zero. Yes. There's X One, which is the now, the one yeah. we just talked about in House Ten of years X. after that. Yes. So it's uh, it basically the, whole, the entirety of the X Men as we know them, as they've experienced things in the universe. Marvel universe, but now they're ending with them deciding to form their own nation state on that island. Yeah. Um, then we have something that's called X, referred to as X Two. That's sort of the di- somewhat distant future. One hundred years. After the founding I'm of the not, Is it actually 100 years only? Yeah. I thought it was supposed to be powers of like 10. I don't think it's actually, I don't think it's math math. It's not it's, math it's math. It's it's the way like they're introduced, it's, it's X0 is the X-Men year 1. Uh-huh. X1 is the X-Men year 10. So that's times 10. Year 100. X2, the X-Men that's year 100. Times 100. Got it. You're and right. And then X3, X3 is the year 1000. So X10 times Bing, three. we did the math. Powers of 10. <laughs> See, it was real math. All right, it was real math. Cool. I have a question about that, specifically the panel that Pete's referencing. The first two are clearly Xavier. Are mm-hmm. the second two Xavier? So you've uh, got, like, the third panel is, like, purple robot dude. Nimrod. Sure. Nimrod. Nimrod? Yeah. Is that Nimrod? That, that, that looks like Nimrod. it's a zoom in on Nimrod. Okay. Um, and then you have uh, the librarian, right? Which is yeah. our future right. thing. But it's interesting that the first two are very clearly Xavier... And I'm just gonna say that the alien, you know, the librarian kind of looks like blue, blue Xavier. Yeah, uh, I, I could definitely it's, track that. Yeah, yeah that's possible. an interesting theory. Yeah, so I hadn't thought about that. So, yeah, so I don't know. I think we may have stumbled in our, descri- our initial description of what what the timelines are. Trust Sorry, me, this is hard enough to get through 
on normal human timeline. We start off with year one, the, the founding of the X-Men. Year 10 is 10 years later. Yep. The X-Men have eventually, or the mutants have eventually given up, kind of, and decided we need to form our own nation. A hundred years later, it's very similar to the same aesthetic as Days of Future Past. Humanity is hunting down X-Men to mm-hmm. extinction with Sentinels. That, that deal. And then finally, uh, a thousand years in the future, which is like the Ascension. The period where apparently humans and mutants and everything can kind of just combine together and have seen past the struggles of their everyday uh, battle and are now aiming for something bigger and better. One thing I'll say is is the uh, X2, the year 100, is... uh, it focuses on the war that they come to refer to as the man-machine war. Yeah. Which is, I I think it's up for debate a little bit about who that war is actually between. Is it between man and machine? Or is it the alliance of man and machines against mutants? Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's inter- this whole thing is what builds up that we're, we're about to experience a really major arc. Uh, that that really just jumps all over the place in a way that I am happy to say I have faith in. I really do. Like, there's a lot of questions about big event comics. Like, do you really think there's a payoff at the end? And I 100% believe there's a payoff on this one. Well, I think, and I like, I think, the X-Zero stuff best in this. But I think they do a really good job of foreshadowing it, right? So you get uh, Moira... Uh, and Xavier meeting for the first time, which is obviously, you know, an iconic moment in X-Men that they're returning to. Um, but then you get glimpses of kind of all of the things that they show you then later on in this comic, right? Saying, kind of reinforcing that idea like, hang on, guys, we got a plan. We're specifically going to put in some imagery and you're going to see that imagery later so that we can reinforce this idea that we know where we're going with yeah. this. And knowing exactly what the publishing order of the next like 12 issues helps a lot for that as well. Uh, there is actually, just speaking a little bit of the publishing, there is a panel of the book, um, or a series of panels, that are close-ups on Xavier and Moria's face that were teased well in advance that said these are the panels that will change X-Men forever. Yeah, the most important panels in X-Men history. Marvel put that out, and then I think Hickman turned around and said, Oh, no, they'll change Marvel history forever. Oh, nice. Uh, so interesting that we we first experienced them in this book, but we don't quite know what, if any, payoffs there will be until later. So we're talking big game here, but there's also a, like a plain heist that happens in the middle of the story. At least two different kind of heisty things. One with, you know, fan favorite Mystique and Sabretooth and Toad. These are classic X-Men characters. Uh, and then well, we get else. the aftermath of that heist. Yeah, so yeah. that happens in that happened in we House get that of wrapped X-Wing. up. And the other one is the one that happens in the sort of future, in the hundred years in the future, with a bunch of other mutants we don't recognize, except we kind of totally kinda, recognize their yeah. power sets. Uh, it's almost as if they are the children of the mutants we uh, we know. Uh, who would you say is? And I'm going to fail the name. Our, our our silvery protagonist with the sword, uh, Rasputin. Yeah, Ras- is that who it is? Rasputin is her That's name? her name. Okay. Who do you think uh, that might be the, quote, we'll say offspring at this point? Well, it looks like it's probably got uh, Colossus. Yeah, I would um, say that. Who is the one with the giant sword? Magic? Magic, which is Colossus's sister. Well, yeah, let's keep going with this. And she does have some sort of teleporting or phasing ability. 
which of course Kitty hints Pride. at Kitty Pride. Now uh, that may be a little creepy to all of you, but we what we also find out in this book through all that cool little extra details is that part of the world building we've got here is that in the hundreds of years of wars with humanity, uh, there is a genetic kind of breeding program, or at least a, a genetic engineering program, where Mr. Sinister, yes, that Mr. Mm-hmm. Sinister, uh, was involved in crossbreeding all the most powerful mutants that exist to try to make up new superpowers that exist. Three pages of extra material that does a hell of a lot of world building for the kind of world that these characters are living in right now. And it's really important. Uh, so, uh, you know, to, to be James, uh, Attack on Titan does exactly what this comic is doing really well. It uh, breaks up its kind of stories and its chapters with exactly like this. Big bits of either military files or cases or lawsuits or whatever they have going on that like flesh out the world in like really important ways. So like make sure you're reading the stuff in between the in between the pictures. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but I mean it's it's got a lot of interesting things in this book. Nimrod's personality I think is fantastic. So that that was my question. Um, so I I didn't know who Nimrod is or anything like that, but um, the kind of his voice, right, his personality, whatever, I found like super intriguing. Do we? And I guess it's, I was excited when I found out he was an established character. But this is something new, right? That's because entirely new. Nimrod didn't really ever have much of a personality. Uh, Nimrod was a uh, a, su- a super sentinel. From the future. Mm-hmm. I believe the same future as Days of Future Past. Okay. Uh, just slightly in the future of that. Okay. Because he came he came back to hunt X-Men So another offshoot. So he was very much just a, a cold robotic. So I'm leaning back on my Xavier theory then. Because he's super apologetic about everything he has to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? And... I feel like Xavier would be super apologetic if he was, you know, having to force mutants into what look like stasis tubes where they oh, can access like death tubes. Like they well, were just kind of yeah. downloading them into gel. Well, it doesn't sound like so the last timeline X3 or whatever you're with the librarian. It doesn't sound like they're dead, but it doesn't sound like they're salvageable either. Yeah, yeah I feel like they're just they're literally recording every little bit about them. Yeah. But in, the, in the process, kill them. Yeah, that's what Nimrod is saying. Yeah. When he's explaining this whole thing, it's like you're we're extracting everything that is you, but, but you go away. Yeah, yeah. It's inter- There's a lot of cool things. Even the black brains, which is just sort of like a phrase brought up to describe certain mutants that are immune to telepathy, but like there's no description, no explanation, just just some visual elements and the, the words and it. Builds so much in my mind. I love it. Why would it be important that they're immune to telepathy? Ah, all right, that's all it. Right, that's that's right. the last time I'm going to reference my own theory. <laughs> Why not? You one, keep bringing it up. It's good. One other thing I'll I'll point out. At one point, Nimrod became uh, he evolved essentially mixed with Master Mold and became Bastion. 
who did have a personality. Right. Um, I'm only vaguely remembering this. I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, the crossover that that involved that he was involved so, in. So uh, anything X Men is going to be super deep, and the cool thing is that they're hitting all the like the like the aesthetic, the elements that make you feel like, oh yeah, if this feels right, but it also doesn't feel like I have to go read an omnibus to be caught up. Yeah, as as a fan of the X Men, there's enough echoes and little items from the past that I can look into it and say, Hey, I might have a clue as to what's happening here because I know it, but you don't need to have had, you've got like an inside track. If you, if you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Another thing interesting is who's, who Nimrod's working with. Are they all just technologically enhanced people or some of them also mutants? It's it's hard to say. It's well, we we can say that mutants are pretty much extinct at this point. I mean, I think we only they're yeah. they're numbering in the maybe thousands across the universe, and I think less on Earth. But um, it does seem like the line between what a human is and what a mutant is is much blurrier. It's, what it's a human a, is and a, a mutant, a machine. or human and machine. Well, Both. human, machine, mutant. It all seems like at some point this just became like anger. Like people yeah. just did this because they had to. Because the 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 conceit is humans are afraid of mutants because mutants have superpowers. Humans don't. So the only thing humans can do is, in great numbers, rise up and oppress mutants. But like in these future worlds, uh, humans are or whoever the antagonists to the mutants are are at least as weirdo as the mutants are. So it's yeah. it, uh, that's kind of an interesting idea. Uh, I, and also to, to branch off that nimrod apologizing while he's destroying people while he's killing a mutant saying i can't believe we used to do this to you people i can't believe we we raised you to betray your own kind it really is disgusting i hope you forgive me that reeks of like i don't want to like put too much politics on this like liberal apologists (laughs) you know what i mean like this is a person who just like while still reaping the benefits of some sort of systematic horror, horror from the past, apologizing for them, yet still doing them. It was crazy. I was reading this, I'm like, this guy is disgusting, and I could see him running for president. Uh, but go on. <laughs> One uh, bit of insight I'll give you, uh, since you asked about who these people are. Uh, the, the second in command of Nimrod, who at various times is referred to as Karima. The, she's and, the red woman, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, other times, Nimrod particularly refers to her as Omega. Yes. She's a former X-Man. She was uh, known as the Omega Sentinel and is actually considered to be a mutated Sentinel. Oh, interesting. Mm, Complicated. Yeah, very Uh, weird. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, there's a lot to like and there's a lot to be confused by in this book. But uh, I definitely feel like now, at the end of Powers of X 1, there is an arc coming. There is a story I am all in on. And the thousand years in the future, which we only get a tease of, suggests, I don't know, something hopeful, yet somehow still ominous. Like, I like the fact that we're looking back from it, from, from far enough into the future where we're like, I can't believe things used to be that way. But the fact that there's like this little, like, caveman and woman this adam and eve at the very end that's looked down upon is very disturbing i don't know there's something about this book that just creates illusions that are unsettling which i love i'm all about it 
So I, I think if we're okay with it, it's time for reviews. Let's review Powers of Ten, number one. This was confusing as hell, and I loved every moment of it. <laughs> this, for me, is a near mint. I oh, guess I nice. just love really broad scope, like crazy stories. Very nice. Uh, I found it a little too confusing for myself. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be the James on this one and, <laughs> and, and only give it a good. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Plus, the, uh, the, the fact that we're supposed to read it like a Roman numeral confuses the heck out <laughs> oh, of me. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Uh, honestly, I, two issues in, one issue of each series, and I'm now I'm, I want to keep reading. I believe there's an arc. I'm a little bit more excited than I was in the last issue because I, I feel like, oh, now I see the scale of the arc, but I could still be lost. So I'm only going to give this a near mint. All right. Will this book ever get three new mints or help three mints <laughs> from us? Tune in to find out. We uh, review this. We're going to be reviewing this, I think, every week, maybe bi-weekly. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, subscribe to Near Mint on your favorite podcatcher. If you're listening to this on our website and you haven't subscribed, do so. Find whatever feed you like. Press that button. Subscribe. Get automatically notified when a new episode comes out. And then like and follow us and do all that crazy jazz that somehow helps us pay the bills. Does anyone know how that works? I, I haven't seen any money. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Uh, go, go to Patreon. Thanks. Bye. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com. 